All right, so we stopped at uh, 2 Timothy 2, who is in verses 22 through 26. And we were talking about the faithful ministers, how they pursue righteousness and avoid quarrels. Right, so <clears throat> we kind of stopped in the middle, so we're like right in between asking questions. So let's read it again real quick, just so we can kind of see where we're at, and then we'll go from there. So 2 Timothy 2, verses 22 to 26, says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, according to verse 24, right, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. That's what we read. This is also one of the qualifications that he gave in 1 Timothy 3.3 when he said, you know, you can't be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, right? And it describes the, the proper conduct, I think, for all Christians, not just elders. This should be for like all Christians. We should not be quarrelsome, right? Titus 3.2 says this. It says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect court courtesy toward all people. All right, so that's Titus 3, 2. And then again, the pastoral epistles, you know, they, they frequently link together, you know, like the false teachers to the church quarrels and controversies that's going on at the time. In uh, 1 Timothy 6, 4, we read that, um, you know, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He says he has an unhealthy craving for controversies, for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, you know, slander, evil suspicions. Uh, also in 2 Timothy uh, 2.14, we read that it was saying, you know, remind them of these things and charge them before God, you know, not to quarrel about words, which does no good. It only ruins the hearers, is what he was saying. Uh, 2 Timothy Two, verse 23, you know, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know that they breed quarrels. Right? Also in 2 Timothy 3, we're going to see that in verse 9 also it says, they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So thinking about these scriptures that we just read and thinking about these quarrels and the false teachers and stuff, what do you guys think the false teachers are, are always quarreling about? And, you know, why do you think they quarrel so much? And maybe what effects it has on the church. So I, I think that one of the, um, I, I think that is position. So they quarrel over either title, position, um, you know, like scripture says, you know, they, uh, you know, they wanted to be seated in the seat of Moses, right? They want the seat of, Mo they want the, you know, they, they, they want to be first place. Um, a lot of times, um, um, you know, quarrelsome strife, uh, you know, envy, all the other all deeds of the flesh, it usually has to do because of jealousy, right? There's, there's, um, there's roots that are grounded upon pride, uh, roots that are grounded upon like, 
making me the center, the, the me, the center thing. And I think a lot of the, the false, um, the false people, you know, they, that's what it is. That's what it makes them false is that they're not attributing the glory to God, but they're attributing it to themselves. Whether it be consciously or unconsciously, I think, you know, it could be done unconsciously. They just, they, I mean, you get used to it. Like you get used to, for example, people that are well-known um, and they, they quarrel over stuff with other people. Um, you know, the higher you go, the higher the quarrel. <laughs> so it is, a, you know, it's just more known. And it's sad because that's what people see. Um, you know, when people see two brothers quarrel or, or, or uh, two non-brothers quarrel, but they use it under the name of Christianity, it affects us all because it's under the banner of Christ. And that's the problem. Um, so, yeah, it's a, not good. <laughs> yeah, definitely, brother. And, I, you know, jealousy, I think that's one of the major stemming points, you know, them, them little roots or for someone who's trying to just maybe get ahead. Either way, it always comes back to like those selfish desires. Some people just like to quarrel and they just like to cause division. They like controversy. You know, I, I know a lot of people like that. They just love to argue and love to fight and, and love controversy. You know, so it could be a little bit of that, I guess, going on. But like you said, man, that, that like that disrupts the church, you know, it causes other people to just envy, to divide, to slander each other. You know, it's just, it's not healthy at all in any, any kind of church setting, you know, like you said, imagine like someone that's new to the faith coming in and hearing these things and then taking them running with it. You know, that would be devastating. So, yeah. Um, another question I have was how and why should the Lord's servant correct his opponents? You know, as we read in verses 24 to 26. Yeah, I think it's with the understanding of, of, of obviously the scripture says to be gentle. Um, you know, even when we, when we preach the gospel, you know, we, we speak truth, you know, or when we correct somebody, whatever it is to be done in the spirit of grace, uh, gentleness of because uh, we don't want to damage the other person um, so much that um, the truth is already hard to bear as it is. You don't have to add. Like, if you just read the Bible and tell them what the Bible says, like, that's all you need. Like, we don't need the extra cream on top. Like, we don't need that 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 coating of humanity. Um, um, and so I think that um, if we're not gentle, um, we're going to harm them and push them further um in the wrong um and so i mean it's our duty to be gentle uh, and and that is not that is not easy at times you know because that's you know our buttons get pushed and um and so it's not easy so <laughs> yeah i mean the main goal is always you know and love to bring them back to repentance or bring them back into restoration if something's going on bring them back to like you were saying the truth you know the truth sometimes you know they would rather you lie to them sometimes just to feel better than to hear the truth and be like oh that's messed up that kind of hurt so all right let's keep going another question uh do you guys think timothy's opponents are just misguided believers or are they unbelievers that are just calling themselves Christians.
I think it's going to be both, bro. I think there's going to be, I, I think that some of them are non-believers, um, I'm sure. And some of them are probably brothers, but on the verge of not being brothers, probably. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say both. And, you know, it's like any congregation, right? Even when Jesus preached, he never preached to a crowd that was all believers, right? I mean, you know, look at, look at Judas, <laughs> the treasurer. It was right there, and he was backstabbing him. Um, and so um, I think it's always with the awareness that when we speak and everywhere, there's going to be believers and non-believers. And, and, and that's where the gospel must be preached entirely every time, like because we just don't know who's listening. Yeah, that's good. And like in this context right here, you know, because it's their opponents in Timothy. And because I think Paul makes it clear, he, he's telling them to like remind them of these things, kind of guide them back to the things they already knew. So I can only assume here it's just misguided believers. But yeah, within the church, bro, there's always going to be definitely both, man. Unbelievers coming in, calling themselves Christians. Are people who think, you know, that they may be Christian but never really repented or had that belief in the Lord. So we got to be gentle, like you said, just keep keep preaching the gospel. That's what's up. All right, let's keep going, man. Uh, we're gonna compare how Paul uses that phrase, knowledge of the truth. So in First Timothy two four, it says, "Who desires all people to be saved." and to come to the knowledge of the truth, right? In 2 Timothy 3, 7, it says, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. In Titus 1, 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So the question is, what do you think is the knowledge of the truth? So maybe like a total understanding of of the scripture, like like a total uh, like a a right, you know, because scripture says that um, you know um, the gospel. It, this leads us into godliness. So if if it's if it's the pure gospel, it's going to lead us to be more like Christ, and that's a a, a, a a right. It's to be enlightened the right way um, in the path of Christ. Uh, a knowledge of the gospel, a knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of who He is. Um, I, I think that 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 word um, um, it, it, it signifies some, something that clicks in here, right? Like we learned something, like that we grew, like. Um, and I think that's, uh, but our understanding of Christ and God is is primarily what matters most. I think um, for the truth. Um, for God is truth. So if we don't know God, if we're not pursuing knowing God, well, we're not going to understand the truth. We, you know, we're going to put our opinion over his word. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, I think like the most simplest answer would just be Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? The knowledge of, of who he is. Yeah. Um, that works everywhere, bro. Just drop Jesus. Right? Be like, ah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though, you know. It is. That's funny. Anybody else want to add anything? All right, well, let's talk about difficulty in the last days. Second Timothy 3, we're going to read verses 1 to 9. Second uh, Timothy 3. Come on, computer. That's why you always got to have a, a Bible bro, right next to you. Because my computer is frozen. That, that's why I don't preach with an iPad, bro. Uh, that's what I don't. Yeah, uh, uh, no, bro. If that thing turns off or that thing loses, I'll be like, I'll be the, uh, you're like, okay, everybody, go home. Thank you. Have a good everybody, day. Everybody, everybody, take take a drink of water. Say hi to one another. <laughs> Give me like 20 minutes to restart this thing. And, and like uh, uh, this uh, one pastor that came to speak at our church and his iPad and his <laughs> he's like flipping that, you know, trying to be all fancy, and then he hits yeah. like the he hits like the music button. And bang, I'm like the one. <laughs> he did the auto I'm like, what? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you're like, okay, we're winging it today. Holy Spirit led all the way. All right, so 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So looking at these verses, uh, this little list that we get right here in uh, verses 2 to 5 that, that describes people, do you guys think that's describing people inside? Or outside of the church. So looking at verses two to five, the people it's talking about that will be lovers of self, you know, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Whole list we read, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. You know, avoid such people. What was the question? Anthony, what was the question? So is that describing people that are inside or outside of the church? I think inside the church. All right. You want to clarify a little bit of why? Huh? You want to tell us a little bit more? Well, because, because it said that if you appear, appear to have the Lord, but you don't. So I would think that that would probably, I don't know. I think maybe maybe both. Maybe both inside the church, not inside the church. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So because they have the appearance of godliness. Yeah. Deny its yeah. power. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, like, um, 
you know, um, you know, like when Paul says, I did not say that you shouldn't associate with, you know, with these people who are more, he goes, but those who are so-called brothers who are living immoral lives, you shouldn't associate with. Right. And so immoral, immoral people is everyone. Right. I mean, in the sense of the world that we live, the world is immoral, uh, not just in a, in a, in a sexual way, but in a, you know, in a dishonoring God way. Um, and so I think that in the last days, we need to be careful more what's within the church than outside, because it's always been bad outside. Like, it doesn't surprise us that the world is the world. It surprises when the church acts like the world. And and uh, we need to be careful um, that, you know, because when it, be, you know, the, the, the first thing is, you know, lovers of self, right? And and uh, I think that that's the, that's the, like the, like the trampoline into all these sins type of thing. Like, it just bounces you out. Um, you know, once you lose the love of God, you know, um, or the fear of God in your life, and it's just me, uh, my pleasures, my desires, my ambitions, you know, um, and then it just goes on, like, um, like, you know, like Ruben said, both in and out. Yeah. Yeah, I would think, you know, like inside the church, I mean, I know this is going on outside the church, right? Obviously, this is what we expect from anybody that doesn't really know God or, I mean, not everybody, I can't go say that because there's some really good moral people out there, you know, but still, even some of those people are going to love money sometimes and they're going to love themselves. You know, I'm not talking about like all these things, slanderous, ungrateful, you know, might be like that. Some abusive people, unholy, we're going to say you're unholy if you don't know God because we're all unholy, you know what I mean, right? Stuff like that. But of course, you know, he's talking to Timothy here. And he's telling Timothy, you know, warning them against people in the church, right? Stuff like that going on. So, and then, you know, having the appearance of godliness, denying its power. You know, we got to be careful, like you said, brother. Like, we got to worry more about this going on in the church than outside. Right? Yeah, and yeah, and that's why he says, "Why do you judge those outside? You know, you know, judge those who are within, right? You know, um, but not, not just that, like, we got to be careful that we don't just drop people in these categories. Also, like, you know, this is a very sensitive thing. Like, um, like if if we're just going to be categorizing people, like, oh, well, they're this, well, they're that, you know, we'll never end. Like, I don't think that's the goal. I, I think it's an awareness of, of, like, look, man, before Christ comes, you know, when, when he inaugurated the kingdom until he, until he fulfills everything, there's going to be problems like and we got to and we got to be concerned over the house of God first in the sense of because we are going to be held accountable to a, to to the standard of the scriptures. The world is already condemned. Right? Like the world is already it's already on, on uh, uh, under the wrath of God. And, and it's the children of God who have the standard of scripture and the world is just. You know, it's all, I mean, if it's not for salvation, well, they're condemned. That's scripture, scripture says. Um, so it's a scary thing. Like, um, um, but it's, I think it's an awareness and awakening thing. Like, um, uh, you know, like right now, like, you know, we, we, you know, we we're talking about earlier distractions. Like, I mean, I, I think that that's like the number one thing always in this world. Like, you know, if you look at the Israelites, like everybody, it's just not even these sins sometimes. Like, you know, it's the distraction that leads us into unholiness, the distraction that leads us into um, um, being malicious gossips, right? Like people have nothing to do with our busybodies sometimes. And they go from house to house 
gossiping, <laughs> right? You know, so scripture talks about these things. So, you know, a, a lot of times these things start very subtle and then they grow big. Um, and so I think it's an awareness that it's going to happen. It, we can fall prey to it, first of all, each and every one of us. And then every, and then we worry about everybody else. But it's, but we got to first look at ourselves and be like, okay, man, I'm, I got to be careful. Um, be careful on my path. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just looking at the list, I look at it and I'm like, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, I love God, bro. I love the Lord, homie. But there have been times in my life where I start getting into some, like I said, movies just recently, right? I'm out of work. I'm hurt. I'm at home. Me and the kid don't hang out a lot. He wants to watch movies and hang out. So we're watching movies. And before you know it, I'm like a week and a half into it. And I'm like, bro, I didn't even open my Bible. I didn't stop to spend no time with the Lord. And then I wake up in the morning, I do like a 10 minute devotional, 20 minute devotional. And then it's movies again all day. And it's like, okay, what's going on? You know, lovers of pleasure. I'm just being pleased by these movies and hanging out with the kid. Nothing wrong with it, but I'm definitely not loving God the way I should. Otherwise I would spend, maybe me and the kids should crack out the Bible and do a little study together or just read a scripture real quick or something, you know, something. So yeah, I know it, it's real easy to fall in all these. We've got to guard ourselves, you, you know, especially within the church. Bro. So another question, or you guys have anything else to add? Cause this is deep. This is a deep topic. We can get into a lot of stuff here. All right, well, another question then, what do you think it means to have the, the appearance of godliness but deny its power. What does it mean to have the appearance of godliness and deny its power? Well, that could mean a lot of different things, but I guess it would. It to me, it means maybe you're not. You don't really fear the Lord like like you should, or you don't seek Him like you should. But maybe maybe something like that. Yeah, and I think the word appearance is the key word there. Like, you you look the part, but you're really not, <laughs> right? You look real mighty, holy, Holy Ghost Junior on Sunday morning, um, <laughs> but you're a demon on Monday, right? And so, <laughs> so we got you know th that's the thing. Like like um, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm infamous for that, but you know, for calling that out, but. <laughs> but <laughs> But I just think that we are really good at being actors as Christians. I always say that, like, oh, I, I mean, I really don't, I don't you know, get invited to preach anywhere, but I used to preach on that, like how um, a, lot of, a lot of the musicians are artists and a lot of the, the Christians are actors and the church is full of uh, appearances. And so, you know, because of those sermons, I don't get invited anywhere, but that's besides the point. So, but <laughs> that's a scary truth though, bro. Hey, bro, I'm just, I'm just simply saying what, you know what needs to be said but so one of the things is is because we're really good at pretending like we are we're, we're we we are really good at, at, at for example people learn the christian lingo who are not christian people will be like hey, amen hallelujah god bless you like and they're not even brothers in christ they just learn the language and then they like the culture like oh well i'll eat on sunday afternoon with you guys and you know i'll go and worship you know 
elevation, ooh, ooh, you know, and yeah. a little. They like the little, community too sometimes. Yeah, they like it because yeah. they feel good. It's a social mm. thing, and and but it's like, but it's it's empty, you know. You know, we've talked about this before. How atheists like atheists say, I go to church. You know, I enjoy the music. I like hearing that rhetoric. That guy talks up there and reads a couple things, and then I go home and I feel better. It's like, whoa, <laughs> like, and so, so I mean, if the atheists confess about it, how much more do, you know? I'm sure other people just don't confess it, but it makes them feel good morally. It's it's a weird thing. It's like a psychological thing. Well, I went to church on Sunday, I confessed my sins, I you know, I sang a couple songs, I gave God a dollar, and you know, here I go off like. And so we think we're good. It's like, God's like, oh, no, I don't know you, brother. Like, you know, and so I think that word appearance is, is deadly, bro. It's my point. So you got to be careful with appearance. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, that's a good question. You know, that I, I've asked people this and it's like, what do Christians look like? What, what, what is the Christian persona? Like, right. Because everybody thinks a certain thing, like, you know, when they go, oh, you're a minister. Oh, my gosh. You know, you know ministers are supposed to look like this i'm like where did you get that where did you get that picture from <laughs> you know um uh, you know and so we we um uh the world gives us these pictures that are erroneous like it's not you know appearances has to do with lifestyle like complete lifestyle like okay my life is not fake it's real like there's there's genuine like if somebody looks at my life they should see something christian right not just because i talk christian that's an appearance so that goes my ramble. No, yeah, that's good. Because there's definitely a lot of people out there who are like, okay, oh, you belong to a church. Like, you're supposed to be perfect. <laughs> it's nobody perfect, brother. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Or, you know, they get, like, hurt and they're, like, calling you a hypocrite because the guy that goes to church and he's trying to be live right, he still curses or something, or he slips up and goes home and drinks on the weekend or whatever it is you know what i mean like you're like you don't know where he's at like with the lord bro we're all broken and we're all at a certain place you know watch him maybe for like a year give him at least some time and see if if he's still the same person then you might be able to go well brother i don't know if you really are a christian you know i, th I think maybe you should re-examine your heart re-examine your life yeah and, and, and like you said like, we gotta be careful with new believers a lot of people who are who are babes in christ especially when they're not being discipled they don't know like a lot of people are not being a lot of people don't sit down and read the bible so that, and if they're under the teaching of a pastor who says three jokes and a point on on sunday morning like it's it doesn't work like you need biblical teaching you know you need to open the bible and read it all of it you know and and uh, and and that's discipleship like you know and and that opens up our and then you're like oh wow maybe what i'm doing isn't right you know, the, the, it's not the teacher, it's the scriptures teaching us. Um, and and so, and, and even when we go astray, it's the scriptures that bring us back, not the people. Uh, so it's always, as long as the scriptures are being taught and preached, there's a there's hope, you know, that the person can, you know, learn these things. But we do need to be gentle with new believers, um, especially when it comes to holding them to the standard of somebody who's been walking with God for years. You know, we got to be really careful with that. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, for one, think that's where the church has failed a little bit. Because there isn't enough. Sometimes we get so caught up on just getting that, that like, commitment to Christ or getting that, oh, I repent and believe. And we forget that. Now he needs somebody to take him under his wing, brother. 
you need to take that person and guide him get him reading start teaching you know disciple discipleship i think as as the church in whole in general in the west anyway because i don't know how it is like in the east or in other countries but i know you know yeah and in reality just to add to that like that's all jesus said to do you know, I mean, I know people disagree, but it's like Jesus didn't say go and have beautiful services. <laughs> he said go and disciple, make disciples. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and but we focus more on the Sunday morning shebang, like you know, you know, light, smoke, camera, action, baby, let's do this. You know, three songs and a joke and a sermon. Like, it's like that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said make disciples, like teach them the Bible, dunk them in the water, take them out, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. That you know, that's really what. I mean, that's what they do in China. That's what they do in North Korea because there's no, they can't have services. That's what they do in, in the Middle East and in, in, um, in Iran and Pakistan where they're being, uh, when there's war 24 seven, right? But in America, it's all about the Sunday morning shebang, right? Um, you know, it becomes a runway show instead of an actual discipleship thing, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we it, that's what the Bible says. Like when, when Jesus comes back, he's not gonna say, oh man, your service was not, I mean, it wasn't long enough. It wasn't short enough. There was too much music. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that it's it's about, you know, did you obey my commandments? Like, did you learn, you know, what did you do with my commandments? And so I think it's important for us, again, not that that's not important. It is important. That's corporate worship. There's a room for that. But that's only 45 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. Like, that's a small fragment of of your whole Christian life. Um, but it's this, are you learning the scriptures? Like, um, at the end of the day, that's what we're accountable for. But, you know, shebang sounds good. You know? <laughs> I mean, think about it, man. If someone's been walking with the Lord 10, 20 years, and if they're only doing Sunday mornings, they're going to struggle in their walk. They're going to slip and slide and mess up and do things they shouldn't be doing. And this is someone who, like, been with the Lord for a long Imagine a new believer. You just leave one Sunday service. He gave his life to the Lord, don't know what to do. He goes back to it. You know, the devil got him right back under his wings, like, hey, you sucker, you know, come with me, man. I'll teach you since then Christians ain't going to teach you that kind of deal. So, yeah, I think we could do a better job probably discipling. Yeah, and most of the cults, they take advantage of that. So a lot of the cults, like, they, they, they what they're really good at is discipling. And so they get the kids in college, be like, hey, bro, you want to do a Bible study? You know, oh, yeah, cool. My, my church doesn't do Bible studies. And they go and they're like, oh, look, there's like 10 teenagers or not teenagers, whatever they are, you know, young adults, you know, reading the Bible. And then you're like, wow, I never read the Bible before with other young people. And then there are cults. Um, and so they disciple you into their cults. Um, a lot a lot of the the false people, they do that. They, 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 they take um, something good and they distort it. So, I mean, that enemy takes advantage. I mean, it works. All right, let's keep going then. Because we could stay on that subject for a while, <laughs> right? Yeah. Second Timothy three two tells us that you know um, people are going to be disobedient to their parents, right? In the last days, Romans one thirty also includes you know like the same phrase in a list of vices, marking those who do do not acknowledge God, and thus they are given over to their sins, right? Um, I'm gonna ask you guys, why do you think disobedience to parents is so serious? Well, first, we're going to read a few scriptures so we can kind of get an idea. All right. 
So why is disobedience to parents so serious? That's going to be the question. Ephesians 6.1 tells us, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Right? What do you guys think? Why, why is disobedience to parents so, so serious? I can give you a couple more. Let's read 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 1 Timothy 3, 12. It says, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. These are qualifications for church leaders, right? Um, verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And then Titus 1, 6 says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So what, what do you guys think? Why is disobedience to parents so serious? Well, back from, you know, to quote Exodus, right? Ten Commandments, you know, just to bring them in here. You know, Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So from the very beginning, um, um, those were disobedience, obedience, honor, dishonor, loyalty, you know, disloyal, those, those are powerful words. And I think that... Um, it's, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's the only way to do this. I mean, in this world, like it's, it's, um, it's a disrespect to God when we don't honor our, our, the, you know, our parents, it, it's, it, that's what it is. It's, it, we're, we're, we're being, you know, it, you know, like when people are unforgiving to their parents for things that they did like 40 years ago, 30 years ago, that is completely against the will of God. Like, you know, Christ should have healed you from that, you know, um, you know, or you should have let that go, whatever it is, right? You know, we got to grow out of this. And and the problem is that these roots of bitterness are unhealthy for us and it's, it's, it becomes sin. Anybody else want to add anything? I know for me, I also think, you know, if you think about it, it all, it all really starts, you know, with the children, <laughs> right? If the children are disobedient, like you were saying, not only does that like displease God and go against everything God wants, you know, but it gives the church and the parents themselves a bad name if they're already in the church, right? Um, if you think about just children being super disobedient to their parents, Usually that leads into a lifestyle of disobedient adults, right? It continues on. It doesn't usually get better unless somebody stops it somewhere along the way. And you usually got to catch them when they're young. If you don't, then you just got disobedient adults as well, which will end up in all kinds of sins later, you know, and I think just fighting against God, which is our nature. We tend to rebel against the Lord in every way. Already. It's young. You know, that disobedience, I think.
think it just it's going to trickle down. And and it comes down to authority too. Like you know, as Christians, we need to honor authority, and and so, um, you know, it's it's just the way God established it. Without authority, there's chaos. There's anarchy. There's um, um, it's just there there needs to be order. There needs to be authority. There needs to be honor to whom honor is due. The Bible says, um, regardless of what mom and dad did, regardless of what the you know you need to honor. Like, just like regardless of what the president does, we must honor our leader. Regardless, like, it's just, that's just, it's like your boss, you honor your, you know, you're, you're not going to go and fight with your boss every, every day if you don't like him, right? You're not going to have a job much longer, right? And so everywhere, every series of life, authority is, is, um, is fundamental for us. Uh, we're not supposed to be a disobedient, rebellious people, but an obedient, submissive people. Yeah, the honoring authority, that's another big thing, too. And then, I mean, it doesn't mean that, like the president, just to say, doesn't mean that we back up everything or, or believe in everything that he wants to do, especially if it goes against God's word. You know, it's kind of okay to be rebellious to that, I guess you could say. But you still honor him as the leader. You know, you still honor him as that president that god has placed him in leadership you still give him that honor respect you pray for him you know so forth so on all right let's keep going so in second timothy 3 8 paul compares the false teachers to the egyptian magicians that opposed moses and aaron you know in exodus uh 7 9 through 12 who, who later on like the Jewish writings identified them as Janus and, and Jambres, which is where we got those names from. So these magicians, you know, they obviously imitated some sort of miracles that were performed by Moses and Aaron, right? Remember in Exodus 7, let's read uh, verse 11 and verse 22. Real quick. So Exodus 7, 11 says, Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Right? Verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did the same. Remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Also in Exodus uh, 8, verse 7, the magicians did the same by their secret arts. They made frogs come up on the land of, of Egypt. But they couldn't replicate, you know, the later plagues that we started seeing. You know, and finally they, they gave way. They conceded to Pharaoh. They were saying, hey, man, this is God's power, right? And that God's power is superior to ours. You know, in Exodus 8, 18 and 19, they said this. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they couldn't. So there were gnats on man and on beasts. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So a question, in what ways are Timothy's opponents like these ancient adversaries of Moses and Aaron? How might this comparison encourage Timothy? So the devil can deceive us and the devil can do a lot of things. The devil can work all kinds of wonders also. 
right? But he can only go so far. Um, you know, at the end of the day, he's not God. And he's not God's rival either. And he's not God's equal. And so he, he, you know, as long as you remember that, you know, the devil can do certain things. He's a little fancy. You know, he, you know, he disguises himself as an angel of light. And he does things that look of light. But he can only go so far. I, you know, I don't know how else to word that. But, um, you know, though he does in the eyes of the world, maybe, oh, wow. But our God created the heavens and the earth, man. Our God stretched the heavens, placed the stars where they are, stretched the ocean. Our God says how far the ocean goes. You know, our, you know, and our God says when it's time to go, when it's time to come. You know, our God, you know, and when you look at the, our, the, the, just the infinite power that our God has, you see like things like, okay, bro, you are really not that powerful. Um, and so, but we, we, but we fear the devil because we don't fear God properly um, at times, you know, because we just don't recognize, okay, if God is this big, well, the devil's really not that big. Um, and so, but um, he, he's an angel of light, so he deceives us. Um, you know, he's not out there going boo to people, right? <laughs> he's deceiving you. Right. Uh, and so, um, I mean, but the devil is a liar. So remember that the devil is a coward, the devil, you know, so if he's a liar, just stay away from lies. Simple. You stay away from him. The devil is, does everything in the deeds of the flesh. You want to stay away from him, submit yourself unto God and he will flee. Right. That's it. I mean, it's just God says submit unto me and the devil's going to flee. You know, he's going to try to do things, but God is just too powerful, man. Um, just the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the demon said, what our time is not yet come. Why do you come in your torment us? Right. Even the demons know. I just got to say the name of Jesus, man. Like, and, you know, and be in the spirit. And um, it's really not as complicated as we make it, I think. But, um, but yeah. That's funny. I also think sometimes. I think of that one scripture, you know, like it rains on the just and the unjust. Like there's certain circumstances that just come to people on both sides, whether believer or non-believer. It doesn't it isn't necessarily always the devil, man. When things are just falling apart, sometimes it may have been bad choices we made, or just sometimes it's that season. It's time for the rain, bro. So it's gonna rain on you a little bit, you know? So but yeah, I think, you know, definitely like these guys are rejecting the truth. Right, and they're opposing Timothy by bringing lies, just like they did to Moses, bringing these false truths, you know, making it, like you said, appearances and doing all this fancy stuff. You know, we can bring frogs up too. We can do this too. But there's always going to get to that point where it's like, all right, that we can't beat God. So that's it. God's will will be done. You know what I mean? And I think that's going to encourage Timothy, you know, to see it that way to go. Oh, yeah, well, in the end, God has the final word. And if God's prepared me for this ministry, then he's going to back me up. I'm going to be victorious in this, you know, no matter what may come at me or what I may have to defend against or, or what goes on. You know, we got to remember that we do have the victory. And God will back us up if, if we're doing right, if we're living the court, or being obedient to him and to his word. And I think he'll back us up and we'll be okay.